how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Natalie Krinsky always knew she wanted to become a writer. In college, she started writing a column at the Yale Daily News. Since it was 2002, these sex column-like articles were published online, sort of like a blog, where readers enjoyed them so much they began to forward them to other friends at other universities. She developed somewhat of a following and then wrote the novel Chloe Does Yale, a comedic take based on the column. These days, she's best known for working on shows like 90210, Grey's Anatomy, Gossip Girl, Red Band Society, and the new film The Broken Hearts Gallery, which she also directed. The latest story is about Lucy, who decides to leave past romance trinkets in an art gallery. The idea is based on her own life, plus the Museum of Broken Relationships in Croatia. In this interview, Krinsky discusses writing characters' point of views as prose, her fascination and pet peeves about rom-coms, why working in a writer's room is invaluable for screenwriters, and how to create daily victories as a writer. I uh, sort of came to it in a, a bit of a funny way, maybe, um, although I don't really know if there's a not funny way to get into screenwriting. I, um, I always, in the back of my mind, wanted to be a writer of some kind, um, but I didn't really know how one went about becoming <laughs> A writer, you know, it's not like like you go to law school and then you become a lawyer. You go to med school and you become a doctor. Um, and when I was in college, actually, I um, I started writing a column um, at the Yale Daily News. I went to Yale as an undergrad, and it was as a favor to a friend. It started, and um, it was a sex column about dating and relationships, like in college, and. My friend was the editor of the newspaper, and he asked me, he was like, you're funny, and you've kind of got this way of, like, thinking about the world and relationships. Like, will you just, like, write, we want to start this column, will you, will you write it? And I sort of said, like, sure, I'd love to. And it was kind of a little bit of a, it wasn't about personal experience, but it was more of, like, what is it like to be sort of figuring out your 
sexuality at like 19 and also in this like hotbed of hormones and dorm rooms. Um, and at the time the column was published online and it was published in the actual newspaper and it was like 2002. And so people, you know, it's almost like a blog and people started forwarding the column to their friends at like other colleges and it kind of took hold a little bit that way. So I sort of began to have this like real following for my silly student sex column. And I wrote a novel based on the column Hmm. and it was published right after I graduated, about a year after I graduated school. And around that time when it was published, um, I sort of started getting calls from, you know, like the Hollywood types wanting to turn it into um, something, (laughs) turn it into a television show or turn it into a movie. And I was, you know, 24, 25 years old. And it was the only thing in the world that I owned. And so I was the, at the time, I think now many novelists adapt their own work, which I think is fabulous. But at the time, I was this, like, petulant 24-year-old novelist who said, well, yeah, I'll option this book to you, but I want to be the one to adapt it. And so that's how I got my, that's how I got the screenwriting bug. Um, And I did a terrible job the first time around, but I stuck to it. What what was so, the um what was that version like? Was it more of like you're following one person or was it kind of like an ensemble piece? Um, it was an ensemble piece. The the adaptation of the book was an ensemble piece, um with like m- much of my work with a sort of um a strong female character at the center who was kind of uh, you know, this college sex columnist. But it was it did follow like a group of friends in college. Um sort of making their way uh, through, you know, (laughs) through dating and relationships and non-relationships and, like, hooking up and whatever else was going on in my brain at the time. How how do you kind of start to define characters? So you worked on 90210, Grey's Anatomy, Gossip Girl, your latest film, Broken Hearts Mm -hmm. Gallery. Do you see, like... Uh, are your characters trying to grow? Do they have, you know, like famously, if someone were to talk about the characters from Sex and the City, we all know kind of who's who. Do you see like very defined moments or do you also look for growth in characters? I mean, I think that you have to look for growth in characters, but I think that the way that I tend to begin is I actually often start from it's just like a seed of an idea. I think a character evolves, you know, like for me over time, slowly, no one ever comes fully formed, but I think I will tend to kind of either think about sometimes often it just comes in like a scene in my head or even a bit of prose. Like I tend to, when I'm first writing a character, um, write like a one or two pages from that, like a prose, just from that character's point of view, it starts to help me kind of discover who they are and discover like what you're saying, like what they want and whether, um, you know, what their voice sounds like or what they, you know, dream about or any number of things. So I think that that's sort of how I begin to get into it. 
And then, of course, you know, it's slowly over time and over drafts, as we, all of us writers know, it's just, it slowly evolves and changes and morphs and um, hopefully into somebody who feels quite real. Hmm. What did you learn on some of these shows? Like, so for example, I wrote a few original stories in college and then I wrote a spec script based on the show community. And that kind of taught me that I really didn't know any of my original characters as well as I knew the characters on TV. What are some things maybe you learned writing for gossip girl and those type of things? It's almost immeasurable the the lessons I've learned on those shows. I think I think you're right. I think once you work on something where a character is inhabited by a real person, right, where we see that person on television and that person has mannerisms and all these other things, they're so much more fully fleshed out than we almost give them credit for. Sometimes I think, and so I think that was a real lesson, like taking sort of imagining people or taking some of the real human characteristics that you see from these characters that you get used to writing and bringing them into your own creations is really important. But I think that working on shows, working on TV is so invaluable as a writer for so many reasons. I think I learned a ton about structure and story and, um, and just, how to really, you know, make a television show. I think I also felt, I think before I worked on a lot of those shows and not always in a positive way, I think it's important to balance like, you know, being precious about your writing and obviously like having a vision for your writing, but, but not being, not just to cleave to things because you think they're going to be your last idea. And I think mm-hmm. that writing on a television show, more than anything, teaches you to continue to dig deep and to continue to keep going and to continue to try to brainstorm and come up with the better idea. And I think that the dialogue in a writer's room is so helpful for that, but also like a lot of the rejection. I think as a staff writer, you're constantly pitching things and people are constantly telling you no, not out of any kind of you know, a lot of that is from inexperience and from not truly, you know, quite getting the story that we're trying to tell or quite getting the character that we're digging into that week. And so it really, I think, both as a writer and a director taught me to think on my feet and taught me to, you know, your last idea isn't necessarily your best idea. Mm -hmm. You can always find something else. Um, So sort of for problem solving and things like that, it was invaluable mm-hmm. before we get to the latest film so i know you've, you've kind of moved from you wrote a few individual episodes several episodes for gossip Girl, but you've also become a producer a story editor now you i think yeah. you're just your, your debut debut director what are some benefits of kind of wearing those hats and, and kind of using you, may, you already mentioned your novel was kind of your first bit of leverage but how how does that help yeah. you with your longevity as a, as a career screenwriter love telling stories and the producing side of things came from um you know finding stories for example books primarily for adaptation that 
I loved, but I wasn't, I knew in my heart, I wasn't necessarily the right person to adapt those mm. particular pieces. And so, but I wanted to have a hand in the story and I wanted to have a hand in bringing, you know, a novel that I loved or an article that I loved into a new, you know, medium. And also to empower other novelists or writers that were a lot like me, you know, maybe writing their first or second or third novel and, and, and wanting to make that jump into screenwriting. Um, so that was something that was really attractive to me. And, you know, as a writer, you only have so much bandwidth to take on, um, you know, you can only write so many scripts a year. I'm only so fast. <laughs> Often, I mean, all writers, I'm sure, like, I wish I was faster. Um, but that was sort of the transition. And I think as a producer, in some ways, I have a lot more, I'm very invested, but in a different way. Like when someone, you know, rejects a script of mine or doesn't understand a script of mine, it feels so personal. Like mm. it's a rejection of me. <laughs> and when I go out with a book as a producer and I say to a film executive or a television executive, I'm like, you've got to read this. Like, you know, I adore this story. And I think these characters are so rich and this is a no brainer television show or a film and like what I want to see next. And when if they don't understand it or they, <laughs> they say like, no, it's not really for us or I don't really see it. I'm, I'm like, Oh, there's something wrong with you. You don't get it. <laughs> I'm moving on. I know this is great. And I know someone's going to see it the way that I see it. And I know they're going to want to make it. So it's kind of a fun flex in some ways because you have this unfailing belief <laughs> without the insecurity that comes with being a writer. Is that fair <laughs> yeah. to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are there any other, so I'm looking at your IMDb page, but I'm sure there's lots of stuff not here, you know, that didn't work out or, or whatever. Um, what are maybe some misconceptions you had kind of going in and then maybe some bad advice you hear in the industry? I think that when I first started, I didn't understand truly um, the form of screenwriting. Mm. And I had written, you know, I had written a column without ever really writing a column and I had written a novel without ever really writing a novel. And there are so many more rules. Time and space is limited in a feature film or in a television show. And I think that I truly did not understand how to, um, how to structure things, but also the visual medium and like the advantages that you have on a TV show or on, um, or in film to like almost, you know, the economy of words because it's a visual medium. Um, so I think that took me a long time to truly understand. Um, I think television writers rooms helped me with that a lot. Um, bad advice. God, <laughs> I, I think there's only bad advice. Um, no, I, you know, I don't think I ever got bad advice. I, I think that, 
I'll tell you the the best advice is just to keep going and to keep mm. writing and to continuously try to hone the craft, even on the days that it's impossible and hard. Like I, even if it's, even if I'm having a horrible day writing, if I can write for like 20 minutes on those days where nothing is coming, then it still feels like a victory. If I can just chip, 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 like a every day, mm. then I eventually get there. So that's my hopefully good advice. But I can't think of any like horribly bad advice that I've gotten. I've gotten terrible notes from people telling me that I wasn't good enough, but I don't know if that's advice as much as an honest opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your your latest film. Where did this kind of idea come from for Broken Hearts Gallery? Um, well, I was a very lost 25-year-old struggling writer. Um, I had been fired from a job and I had broken up with my boyfriend and I was moving apartments and I was literally digging through the rubble of my life, um, trying to move on from this bad, uh, relationship. And that is kind of how this idea came to me. I had heard about, um, the museum of broken relationships in Croatia. And I was literally trying to figure out what to do with all my ex-boyfriends, the remnants of my ex-boyfriend. And, um, I just thought to myself, oh, my God, that's a movie. And I am a sucker for a romantic comedy. Um, I grew up on them. Like, I love When Harry Met Sally and His Girl Friday and um, Bridget Jones' Diary and all of those broadcast news. I don't know if you can call that exactly a romantic comedy, but it, it, it falls into that category. And um, I wanted to write my own version. And I just thought to myself, God, this is this is an idea. And that's how that's how I started this movie and it was 10 years ago over 10 years ago that I wrote the first draft of this script so it's taken a minute but here we are so I mean, you know I've been interviewing people for a while a lot of films take 10 years how has this one changed maybe because of was there any changes because of the the climate or atmosphere and zeitgeist that has changed so much in the last 10 years oh my gosh Yes, I think, you know, any writer will tell you, especially one that whose film has taken 10 years to uh, get on screen, um, you know, you write and you rewrite and you change the characters and you um, are continually, the story continues to evolve. I think, though, that the essence of Lucy as a character, who's the main character in the film, um, she definitely has always been this very sort of strong, um, unfailingly optimistic, and I would say one of the proudest things um, I feel about the character and about the film is that she's someone who is not asking the world to love her despite the fact that she's weird. She's asking the world or her mate to love her because she is weird. And that has always been something that has stayed true. And I think that it's a really important message for women, but I also think it's a really important message for anyone. Um, and so maybe the world has caught up to that idea <laughs> a little bit more, as opposed to having to change yourself or thinking you have to change yourself for somebody else. Since this one kind of started personal for you, how, how did you start to explore that? I mean, obviously, it's a good idea. It's a good hook. But what were some of those first things you did because it started personal? Did, I mean, did you 
talk to old ex? Is there anything odd like that that might have helped you kind of start the writing process? I mean, I think I was already living the story to some degree. I was trying to find my way in the world, and I was trying to, um, you know, be a writer, and that was my dream, and it's all I wanted. And I, I was trying to, you know, sort of navigate dating in my 20s. So, so many of the things that Lucy is going through, I was actually living. And so it was sort of, you know, certainly that character especially in the 20, you know, I've 10 years gone by. So I like married and have a child and another child on the way. So a lot has changed, but the voice of that character and what I was living at the time, a lot of what was happening in my life were her interactions with her girlfriends or, you know, the kind of, the kind of professional sort of situation she finds herself in came from, my own experience and the, and the conversations that I would have and, and kind of really came from what I was living in the same way that when I was writing my column, they were coming from around me and what I was living at the time. And then, you know, I've sort of, I'm gladly not, I'm happily not dating in my twenties anymore. Does, does all of your comedy come from character? Like if you're watching a movie and something doesn't fit, is it usually that they're trying too hard with jokes and not focused on character? Like what are some of your pet peeves with rom-coms and how do you kind of fight those? Oh my God. Yeah. I, I find that I'm not like a big broad comedy person. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wish that I had more of that, but I don't, I don't like the, the like gross out jokes or like, jokes with animals or like falling off of things. Those don't usually, those don't usually fly for me. And I don't write that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but the ones that kind of come all comedy for me comes from character and from sort of two people having very different points of view about the world or about a situation. And I think that that's like really the most fun, um, and the most satisfying, to write and you know my favorite comedies come from you know some of the ones i mentioned for example come from those types of situations much more than the i mean bless the hearts of the people who can do that stuff and do it well but i'm not one of them i know a lot of people you know they focus a lot on improv i mean do you think the script should be funny on the page i mean you famous you got started writing columns i mean there, there's some jokes there i'm sure and humor to it do you think yeah. it's better to be subtle or how much does relying on actors come into something like this? So we were really, it was really a hybrid for us. I think that you've got to be funny on the page and you've got to set up scenarios that allow your actors to improv. If you are so lucky to have, um, you know, that kind of actor at your disposal, which I did. So many of our actors have comedic backgrounds and are actually the age of the people that, you know, they play in the film. So they are drawing from their own life. I think, though, that you have to, this is sort of almost like a, almost directing a little bit where, you know, we really spent a lot of time rehearsing scenes prior and seeing what jokes worked on the page. And then once we knew that those scenes were going to work, and once you're prepared with at least a version that is going to be funny, you have the luxury of being able to 
have your actors improvise. And for example, like Arturo Castro, who plays Marcos in the film, Geraldine Viswanathan, who plays the lead character of Lucy, whenever they were in a scene together, they would play. It was so much fun to watch. Um, Molly Gordon, Philippa Sue, Egon Wadham, all of those sort of actors that have some of that comedy background, they really had some time to improvise, but we sort of did it. Look, we shot the movie in 25 days, so we did it in a really limited way, but they got the chance to play. So, yeah, so, I think it's a hybrid. Yeah. But I think you got to be funny on the page. <laughs> so a lot of first-time directors, I mean, obviously it's a very big challenge. It's very different. What were some of the ways you prepped for that besides maybe storyboarding? Like, did you spend the last couple of years getting on set more? Like, how do you get out of the writer's <laughs> room? Or, you know, what made you kind of have the confidence and capability to direct the film? Um, well, <laughs> I think the confidence you fake until it gets there. Um, I really, uh, I actually didn't storyboard. Storyboarding was something that was really abstract for me, and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. The way that I did it, and this is sort of a fun thing that I felt as a first-time director um, was so valuable for me, was I decided to photoboard. So after we had chosen our location, we location scouted, um, I went with my, and we had, you know, sort of decided, okay, these are the places, especially for the bigger scenes. I went with my DP and I brought my assistant and a couple of PAs and we literally had the chance to sort of set up the scene prior to having the actors there on the day and doing it. Hmm. So we would sort of walk through and say, okay, like, well, what if you're playing Lucy and you come in that door? Oh, that doesn't really feel right. What if you try it over here? What if you try it over there? And then we took sort of photos of all the different moments in the aspect ratio in the, with the approximate camera angles that we were going to use. And for me, living in the space and being sort of with bodies and with real people to figure out some of that stuff was invaluable. And then, of course, when actors show up and, you know, there's obviously going to be a conversation, but I always had a plan inside the space of exactly what I was going to do. Um, I did a lot of, I did a really comprehensive lookbook. The way that the film looked and felt was really important to me. I wanted it to really feel like New York. I had a real sense of what Lucy's room looked like, what Nick's hotel looked like. So I spent a lot of time before we even started culling through images, putting together a presentation that I could share with all my department heads and that could really dictate the aesthetic of the film. Um, and in terms of confidence, honestly, I, I was pretty terrified <laughs> every day, especially in the beginning. And then eventually you don't have enough time to think about that and you just are, you're going. Hmm. And so the fear sort of dissipates and you jump in and you do the work. And I think that a film really is directed in prep. And if you have rehearsed and made decisions in advance, you have the joy of being able to improv on set a little bit or pick up something else or 
you, you give yourself time and freedom in kind of being extraordinarily prepared, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice or, or is there like a mental mind shift between kind of being prepared and then also being flexible? Or is it more just like you're so busy, you just, you know, you have to kind of tread water? I think that, um, look, you're always, time is never on your side. <laughs> and uh, you have to often make decisions that, our spur of the moment that have like a lasting effect. But I think I really do believe, I mean, not to retread what I said, but I really do believe that if you spend a lot of time in prep and you really know what your movie is supposed to look like and feel like, and also what your days are supposed to be. And, and you're not just flying by the seat of your pants every day. If you have a plan every day, your life is a little bit easier. And then it's just, I mean, one of the joys of it is that you are so immersed in this creative process and the adrenaline that comes in directing a movie is all encompassing (laughs) and you're going and going and going and you're living in this world that you've created. And I think you, you know, my choice was to like dive in and, you know, do the work and hope for the best. It's kind of all you can do. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.